Alright, welcome to episode 5 of the Solid 60. My name is Patrick and you're just going to sit here and listen to one of the greatest articles of all time. We've had at least two or three people read it, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, we're about to boost that signal right out into the digital audio sphere as I uh, push through with Beyond the Kong Sit. be nice if I lined up the numbers of... Um, yeah episodes of this podcast with beyond the con that would be amazing i'll uh, have to do the maths on that later obviously we're one behind with the podcast so you know i'll find a way to make that work uh but here we go beyond the con your finitely ish breakdown i'm dropping the numbers down to two so i'll probably have to change that for the next issue which i'm still having trouble coming up with stories for i've got a, a hero i've got down to the point where it's someone planting little street libraries around Canberra. Uh, it's been a slow news week, what can I say? And in terms of a zero, it's um, Twitch, you know, that keeps it on topic, uh, for banning an entire channel for a DMCA takedown, which is like a copyright issue. And they're not saying why or how or giving him any kind of way to dispute it. Oh, the guy they've taken down is someone called Linus Tech Tips, who makes like a chat show video thing. I mean, it sounds really cool. It popped up on Reddit. I, I generally find my stories either through Reddit or, um, you know, the the usual mainstream news or, um, you know, stuff pops up on Facebook and uh, that's pretty much it. I need to find a better way. Oh, there's another site that I've been using for about oh, nearly 20 years called FARC.com. I thought I'd mine that for information, but it's rare. It's, it's rare that I can find anything that's, you know, useful for this. What else happened today? Because it's been a week. I did want to introduce some uh, accountability as well, fitness-wise. You know, I've got the writing on here, but um, yeah, if I, if I start promising myself to go for a run, do some weights, anything like that, um, you know, at least when I come back a week after, I'm like, hey, so did I do it? So far, I've avoided it. It's nice because I haven't really been doing anything. But here tonight, uh, 12:35 a.m. on the wow, first of May. So I should be re- really recording on the last day of April, but you know. It's been a long day, what can I say? Um, Yeah, I will vow to run at least 10 kilometers. Seems to be the nice round number to push for. I will end up with some bruising afterwards, but it's worth it uh, by the next podcast. And uh, do at least one session of jiu-jitsu. That's pretty much the only fitness I did last week. Going to Ironfest. Didn't I already? Yeah, I already had a podcast since then. So since then, I've pretty much just done one jiu-jitsu class, which, yeah, okay, you get a bit sweaty but it's not enough on its own um yeah you would have to do hours every day for it to really make a difference it's still freaking hard but that's more about the technique and people just dumping on me on my head you know i've got to stick at it i'm paying 80 dollars a fortnight so that helps me um get motivated if nothing else and it's ridiculously hard to cancel it whereas my gym which i don't use either you can just stop it straight away um i really should get in there so 10k's one session of jiu-jitsu and the third thing should be i should at least go to the gym once and do some machine weights i've got the cat finding its place on me somewhere it's the smaller one scooter he's very affectionate i had read um before getting the cat that the males were more um cuddly and this has proved to be the case uh there was a litter i think they were mostly female and i got one of the only boys i don't know if you can hear him purring but damn it's loud we've got Two heroes, two zeros, and I added a whole bunch of... Um, we had a lot of people die last week. Get through that, and uh, hopefully you can listen and let me know if it was what the, what I could do next time to spice things up. I liked it. There might be things I don't see. But let's go with hero one, Mohammed bin Salman, for allowing cinemas back in Saudi Arabia. So 
a big pat on the back for this Saudi Arabian prince. He finally pushed through reforms that allow cinemas to open in the extremely conservative Wahhabist Muslim country. The movie screen in Saudi cinemas will still be subject to approval by government censors, and last Wednesday night's premiere of Black Panther was no exception. Most violent scenes were not cut, but a final scene involving a kiss was dropped from the final print. Still, it's a massive reversal for a country where public movie screenings were banned in the late 80s. It was probably more than early 80s. During a wave of ultra-conservatism that swept Saudi Arabia, many Saudi clerics view Western movies and even Ara Arabic films made in Egypt and Lebanon as sinful. Despite decades of ultra-conservative dogma, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has pushed through a number of major social reforms with support from his father, King Salman, to satisfy the desires of the country's now majority young population. Is that English? Can I go with that? It's a majority young population. That's fine. What could possibly go wrong? This is a historic day for your country. Adam Aaron. What a name. Um, alliterative name. That's cool, man. He's the CEO of AMC Entertainment. He told the crowd at the screening, it's been about 37 years since you've been able to watch movies the way movies are meant to be watched in a theatre together on a big screen some reason he's got a really Aussie accent. Social reforms undertaken by the 32-year-old heir to the throne are part of his Vision 2030, a plan to boost local spending and create jobs now that oil prices are falling. There's no sight of a turnaround. Yeah, I could play with that a bit more. The Saudi government projects the opening of movie theatres will bring $26 billion to the economy and create more than 30,000 jobs by 2030. The kingdom also says that there will be at least 300 cinemas with around 2,000 screens by, built by 2030. Gee, that's huge. Those numbers are nuts. Uh, in the 1970s, they were in, there were informally organized movie screenings, but they were often interrupted by religious police whose powers have since faded. Jamal Khashoggi, a dissident Saudi writer, describes the theaters of the 1970s as being like American drive-ins, except much more informal. In a piece for the Washington Post, he wrote that a friend once broke his leg at a screening where he jumped off a wall to escape the religious police and avoid arrest. By the 1980s, movie theatres were banned completely, and the only way to watch a movie was to work in foreign embassies, who would sometimes have private screenings. Access to streaming services such as Netflix and satellite TV have rapidly eroded attempts by the government to censor what the Saudi public can view. So they knew they couldn't stop people watching the movies anymore and figured they might as well try and make some money. Finally, allowing popular culture, both Western and local cinema, back into the mainstream. It won't be just like everywhere else though. The new movie theatres have also come equipped with prayer rooms to accommodate the daily Muslim prayer time. Um, they get AMC, we still don't. We're um, hemmed in by Hoyts and events, but, which is okay. I get my free popcorn, or endless popcorn anyway. Though, you know, how often do you go back out for more? Yeah, so I was pretty happy with that. I found some photos to dot in there. I've, I've stopped asking for permission for each photo because you've got to go all over the internet and just find whatever fits. God knows where they come from sometimes. And no one reads it anyway, so... Though, yeah, that's what I was going to mention. We had a bit of a kerfuffle today on the page. Go see if it's still going. It was only one or two people really that noticed that an image I used as a social engagement, call it Trigger, um, I just said, hey, so name the most overrated video game. I grabbed it off the internet somewhere and apparently it was used by a, it's dropped right down. Everyone's, thankfully it's been buried by, um, I, I just posted all the uh, photos from Ironfest because I waited a week, longer than a week actually. The article's up, now I can go, the, the editor, what to work with, didn't want them up at all because it's apparently 
stealing traffic from the website but seriously photos go on on facebook that's you can have nicer bigger ones on the Flickr, embedded link on the website that's great but where are people going to tag themselves share and all that sort of thing um, and she does say oh well they could ask us and we could tag them on the website but you know who's going to do that people are responding what is the most overrated game ever um it was from a another facebook page called screenplay apparently and they're a tv show from channel 7 one of their other little side channels like plus uh, apparently i used their image which was really upsetting for this guy he said oh wow yeah you stole the image and everything i wonder how long it would take for this comment to get deleted 28th of april geez i'm not sure what the date um i guess because it was only a day before i posted it you know it's literally just an image and some text there's no copyright on it it's just to provoke um, you know a conversation yeah, there's a couple of responses and why overwatch would be overrated it seems quite popular you know to me that indicates that there's some justification to the hype if people are still playing it and talking about it and there's leagues and cosplay then there must be something going on there and then he ended up he went away matt wendon he seems like a nice guy but yeah he had a different take on it because um, i was like all right fine i'll credit it i didn't realize my bad and he's come back with i think you're missing the point it's not about crediting the original source it's that the post is so generic that copying it at all or even cross-posting it makes it seem lazy and pointless yeah of course it's lazy it's just text on an image to provoke conversation there's nothing i'm not pretending there's any effort in that or even i mean why not just go to the original page well for a start i didn't realize there was an original page um, crediting original posts is designed for things that are relevant to your content or things you find interesting enough that you think your audience would appreciate engaging with it. Well, that's exactly what that is. I think it's an interesting enough question that my audience would engage with it, which is exactly, anyway. Such as a photographer, you respect doing good work. You have to understand what the point of the post you've made has. In this example, all I see is a copy-paste image for another page with a credit. It's just words on an image. It doesn't have any artistic or intellectual value. Or worse, unauthentic. Anyway, man, GLHF. Someone's going to tell me what that means, please. Uh, night. I haven't responded to that yet because, well, it's one in the morning and it might wake him up. So I'll get back to him tomorrow and go, yep, cool, got, got your point. Agree to disagree. I mean, I'm not pretending it's artistic or has intellectual value. It's just, just a silly meme. Not meme, but thing that posts to get more people engaged. What, where I've got maybe some artistic value, if you can call it that, is back to Beyond the Con. Um, and no one res responds to that, so you can't win. Anyway, Hero 2, Superman turns 80 and celebrates his thousandth issue of Action Comics. We often include stories in here about those heroes who confirm my favorite hashtag, that not all heroes wear capes. This time, however, we pay tribute to a hero who practically invented the cliche of a superhero who wears capes, leaps tall buildings in a single bound, and all that jazz. Yes, it's the Ubermensch himself, Superman. So how do you go celebrating the 80th birthday of the most famous, greatest superhero of all time? Well, a 93-page extravaganza that not only celebrates the hero's past, but also peeks into his future, of course. Last week's Action Comics 1000 is a huge milestone in comic history. As it also marks the 80th anniversary of the creation of Superman in Action Comics 1 since its inception in 1938, featuring an impressive roster of writers and artists including Jim Lee, Jeff Johns, Scott Snyder, Neil Adams, Brian Michael Bendis, Nicola Scott and many more, 
It's a fitting tribute to the Man of Steel's long and storied history. Each writer was given five pages, five pages only to contribute their particular take on the eponymous hero. The only exception to this rule was Brian Michael Bender's story, which doubled that number. A trivial but much talked about addition is the return of Superman's classic red trunks. An odd side note is that almost every artist decided to do it without talking to the other creators. It was like there was a sudden 50 degree turn to starboard and everyone agreed without needing to consult each other. The unique one-off anthology is also a little different to the regular run as it gathers so many high caliber artists and lets them run completely wild with almost no editorial oversight other than a few guiding principles. Though we're never going to let Superman pee his pants, unlike Batman in one Kevin Smith pants storyline, but he does get a vicious beating in the Brian Michael Bendis chapter, his first outing for DC Comics and arguably not the strongest writing of the bunch. I haven't read it to be honest, but I did read a lot of articles and reviews and some lukewarm responses to the Bendis section. Um, and obviously that's why he got more pages, because he's kicking off the uh, Chur run of Superman comics. Um, which is a worrying sign when a book that has been celebrated for such a well-crafted look at Superman's past, and even more concerning given he's the new showrunner for all current Superman comics. Still, it seems like a worthy way to celebrate the 80th year of the superhero that started it all. Any collector worth their salt should have it boxed up in my lot as soon as possible. I was even sort of got me thinking, I want this. I'm just never near a comic shop. But I'll definitely have a look at it next time I'm in the city. Zero one, Overwatch Pro, Jonathan Dream Casper, Sanchez for sexting underage girls. In California, coercing a minor into sending child pornography is punishable with a felony. For a promising gaming superstar, that looks like where he's heading, given his recent behaviour. 21-year-old Jonathan was part of the Overwatch team Boston Uprising, an underdog team that, like its name, quickly rose through the ranks of the Overwatch League, beating New York. That really requires more qualification, like beating New York recently on a certain day. That just <laughs> looks weird like that, so I'll come back to that. Commentators singled Jonathan out as one of their best players, and established players like Jun Yong Prophet Park called him the best Western DPS player in the entire league. His rising fame quickly crumbled when two girls aged 16 and 14 came forward with screen caps of months of conversations on Twitter that painted him in a very poor light indeed. I've got a Twitter picture there saying um, Boston Uprising has learned of allegations against Jonathan Sanchez. We take all allegations of this nature very seriously. And a result, Dream Casper has been suspended from the Boston Uprising indefinitely. We will not be commenting any further while we investigate the matter. Obviously it went south from there for him. Not only was he sending and asking for naked images from the girls, at one stage he even bought plane tickets for one of them in a bid to have her stay at his hotel for a weekend. It's not clear whether he will be charged by the police, but either way, his career is over, and two young girls have had their faith in men severely lost by this ordeal. Should maybe change that to tested. It may have started out innocent enough for them, but being a celebrity, even a minor one, and older than them, Gave him far too much power. Older than them. A minor one and older than them. Something weird about that. Whether it whether it ever to be fair or consensual. What was I trying to say? It's a good thing I do this. All we can do is hope justice comes to Mr. Sanchez and he learns to change his attitudes towards women. For the two girls, they now need to recover from their ordeal and go on to lead full happy lives without it defining who they are. Now I had an editor's note on that to change it to recover from their ordeal and regain their dignity but i don't know for me that implies they lost their dignity somehow as i don't think that's the case i think they i mean obviously they were pushed into 
carrying on this conversation but that you know it sounds like victim blaming to imply they did something wrong to lose their dignity um which isn't the case at all this guy is the dirtbag you know he might have his own issues and need help and everything but he's not that old himself but he's old enough to know better so it's all over for him now anyway um i don't know why i don't do this before i publish this stuff um i even had a friend look over it and they were like spotted one or two spelling errors that I, well, gr- grammatical things that I fixed, but somehow they missed them. And I'd, I'd gone over it and just thought, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, this bit. It may have started out innocent enough for them, but being a celebrity, even a minor one, and older than them, gave him far too much power. Yeah, that kind of works now. Whether it ever to be fair or consensual. See, I, I think I was trying to say it was, you know, he's too old and too powerful for it to be ever fair or consensual. And uh, it's just got mashed into that somehow. So I will uh, edit that tomorrow. Anyway, our second zero, Carl Stefanovic, for whining about the release date of The Avengers. As I write this, today is Anzac Day, and Carl Stefanovic is a very angry man. He's extremely mad that Avengers Infinity War is going to be released on the 25th, and he sincerely believes you should be too. Stefanovic went on a rant about it on Today last week, saying the film's release date smacks to me of a grubby cash grab and calling on cinemas to grab your cash somewhere else, exploit another day, not what I believe is the most important day on our nation's calendar. How on earth are our kids supposed to breathe in the significance of Anzac Day? The sacrifices, the great sacrifices, the impact on our nation and our families. Pretty hard to do with a $25 popcorn and choc top, I thought. Uh, I don't know where he's buying his popcorn, but he needs to shop around more. Also, the fact that the Avengers and other blockbuster films have been dropping on Anzac Day for, you know, since the first one. That's not six years ago. Um, Didn't seem to register. First screenings isn't until around noon, which is well after dawn services and parades are being completed. By then, everyone's blind drunk anyway and watching the footy, which is what I said next. By then, most people are gearing up for barbecues, footy games, or a trip to the shops. Why not enjoy a flick with the family? After all, that is what the Anzac tickets fought for, isn't it? Our freedom to enjoy one of our few public holidays doing what we love most. For me and a lot of other people, that's watching an awesome movie. So, screw him. It's just clickbaity shock jock at its worst. Like, come on, man. It's He's just cashing in on this um, growing nationalist patriotism and it, and it's just cheap. Uh, yeah, I never really had a strong opinion of the guy for or against until now and uh, he's definitely dropped the ball there. I've got a little uh, extra section here for upcoming content and then another section for um, shows we will miss because, I mean, I was putting them in the memoriam section and that seemed a little disrespectful, so I'll give them their own bit. Here we go with... Um, stuff that's coming up Westworld season 2 it's not just coming up it's out but for me it's still coming up because I don't have Foxtel I had it for a while and it was just shitty and slow and it's got the worst interface ever like it was designed by a 3 year old with crowns yeah so it's going to have to be downloaded or something and then I'll definitely buy the box set like I already did with season 1 to assuage any guilt anyway it's just kicked off for those who aren't willing to stump up the cash for the premium cable service they have to wait a few more months box sets to come out. There is of course the very grey area that involves downloading it from risky websites. If you're willing to risk that then go for it. As long as you eventually put your money down then you do whatever is necessary 
to satisfy your cravings for the goings-on of the most critically acclaimed sci-fi series of all time. Mythbusters Jr. is still a few months out, but marks a return for Adam Savage to the small screen. After 14 years on the original show, he became a household name and quickly known as the more playful of the duo who fronted one of the most entertaining science shows of all time. It was relaunched with different hosts in 2016, and Adam went on to host the YouTube show Tested, amongst other media commitments. He is reportedly very happy to be back in the fold of the show that started it all. And I've clearly spelt reportedly wrong. Um, guided by Savage, six of America's most scientifically savvy kids will get the chance to show off their prowess and steam skills as they separate fact from fiction over the course of ten episodes. So STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Math. That's pretty cool. I like all of those things, except the last one. This should introduce a whole new generation of kids to the concept and hopefully inspire the next Elon Musk or Marie Curie. I honestly looked for a more relevant, like recent female scientist or inventor or anything, and nothing jumped out at me. There was no names on the list that I googled that, uh, you know, you could put in an article that people would be like, oh yeah, her... So I hope, hopefully that changes in the next, you know, decade. There should be a female Musk. Mm, that came out wrong. Let's just roll on. Deadpool 2, it's out on the 19th of May. Less than a month ago, it'll be a good pick up. Um, pick me up after the buzz around Infinity War has died down. We need some laughs and post all the morning of whichever character they decide to kill off in the Avengers movie. It's Captain America, right? Please say it isn't so. Well, thankfully, spoiler alert here, tick, tick, tock, it isn't so. We'll see what happens in the next movie, but there's a whole bunch of deaths and he's not one of them. That's as much as I'll say. Um, I'm going to review that on Banana Split as soon as we can arrange a freaking time that everyone's available and has seen it. It's got our erstwhile female host. Um, was too sick to watch it on the weekend and Anzac Day, so hopefully she gets on board and we can all have some fun with it. Anywho, we'll move on, but not without sharing this tidbit the official IMDb summary of Deadpool 2, written shortly by Ryan Reynolds himself. After surviving a near-fatal bovine attack, the disfigured cafeteria chef, Wade Wilson, struggles to fulfil his dream of becoming Maybury's hottest bartender, while also learning to cope with his lost sense of taste. Searching to regain his spice for life, as well as a flux capacitor, Wade must battle ninjas, the Yakuza, and a pack of sexually aggressive canines as he journeys around the world to discover the importance of family, friendship and flavour, finding a new taste for adventure and earning the coveted coffee mug title of world's best lover. That's cute. That's written by, you know, that's the official thing on the back of a DVD. That's essentially what that is, but on the IMDb site. And, you know, it's just really cute. I love everything about Deadpool. If we go to shows we'll miss, unfortunately. Uh, one of the funniest TV shows this decade has been scratched from the schedule this year with season two marking the final outing for ash and his crew bruce campbell says he is officially retiring the character now that the death knell has sounded after the recent announcement of dirk gently's holistic detective agency's cancellation it might be just the name that was so long this is a real kick to the teeth for edgy genre programming and all we can do is hope we see bruce back in the saddle of something else just as exciting soon really nothing will be as good as this it's, it was a really cool show. I haven't caught up on them, but it did capture the spirit of the movies and had Lucy Lawless, and it was just it was a great launch pad for his younger co-stars to bring on, so bring on more of them. Of course, we can't ignore the contributions from Lucy Lawless, 
a fellow genre veteran who brought around considerable energy and a fan following to the franchise. If you haven't seen the show yet, then get on board. The final episode... Ep- I did it. That's what I used to say as a kid. The final episode is yet to go live, so you have plenty of time to catch up before all the spoilers are out there. In memoriam, we've got R. Lee Ermey, the gunny, an outspoken warrior both in real life and on screen, the charismatic and intimidating man became the go-to guy when you needed a drill sergeant to chew the scenery and lived a long and fruitful life up until the ripe old age of 74. It was his role in Stanley Kubrick's 1987 film Full Metal Jacket that brought him in household recognition and critical acclaim. In addition to his Golden Globe nom, he also earned a Best Supporting Actor award from the Boston Society of Film Critics. He's best remembered for the numerous memorable lines he delivered as a no-nonsense sergeant, including, What is your major malfunction, numbnuts? Didn't mummy and daddy show you enough attention when you're a child? I want that head so sanitary and squared away that the Virgin Mary herself will be proud to go in there and take a dump. The legend is that Ermi was originally hired to advise and train the actor who would play the role, but Kubrick was so impressed by what he saw, he offered Ermi the role. He played a similar character in The Frighteners, which was directed by Peter Jackson and starred Michael J. Fox. Still have to watch that one. Uh, other film credits include Mississippi Burning, Prefontaine, the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Fletch Lives, and Seven. I don't remember him in that. He also had a healthy voiceover career playing the lead of the Green Plastic Army Soldiers in Toy Story, along with a role in SpongeBob SquarePants, among others, and voice roles in multiple video games. Hopefully he's up there right now, making sure new recruits to heaven have their bunks squared away and boots so shiny you can see their own halos in the reflection. I like that. I just came up with that. I like the idea of the visual of looking down into your heavenly boots and seeing the golden glow of a halo uh, reflected. There's something to that. Then we've got Vernon Troyer. The 49-year-old Austin Powers star passed away last weekend from what police suspect is alcohol poisoning and marks a sad end to the life of a celebrated and troubled man. Praised by his peers and mourned by millions of fans, his diminutive actor punched well above his weight when it came to performance, both in campy roles like his famous Mini-Me character and more serious roles like Taylor Prentice in Boston Public. Now, to be honest, I wasn't sure if that was a serious role, but I looked through his uh, filmography and, you know, kind of looks like it might be the only one. To, uh, they were all pretty crazy stuff. He, he he really did play up to the whole shtick of the the funny little midget guy, to be honest. Like, uh, you know, there's there's still a few others. There's, uh, unlike Peter Dinklage, who really does take on the serious roles, this guy um, found a niche. TMZ reported in April that Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone actor was hospitalised after a friend called the police and said Troyer was extremely upset, drunk, and suicidal. He was also hospitalised for alcohol addiction in 2017. Another little typo there. I've written addition. An alcohol addition to your life is, yeah, in, when you're that small and you're putting it down, it's never going to end well. Troyer was born with achondroplasia, a genetic condition that kept him 2 feet 8 inches. 2 feet? He grew up Amish, although his parents left the religion when he was still a child. He told the Guardian he was almost uh, died as a baby when his parents found him unresponsive in his crib, having an infection. As we were Amish, we only had a horse and buggy to get to the hospital, but that wasn't going to be quick enough, so we borrowed my aunt's car. My parents were told there was nothing that could be done. 
and my dad whisked me away to another hospital I was put in an oxygen tent and thankfully recovered. What a shitty hospital the first one was. No, sorry. Might as well put him in a shoebox. So there we go. From a baby who was barely breathing to his first acting role years later as the stunt double for an actual baby in Baby's Day Out 1994. He then landed a steady stream of small roles. <laughs> no pun intended. I honestly... That didn't occur to me when I wrote that. Uh, Men in Black and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas before making it big as Mini-Me in Austin Powers. Spy Who Shagged Me. He continued to land bits in comedies and appeared on many popular reality shows over the years like Celebrity Juice, Celebrity Wife Swap and The Surreal Life. See, the only one of those I've kind of heard of is Wife Swap, so I don't know how popular they really are. But we still salute you, Vernon. Rest in peace. And lastly, we have Tim Bergling, a Swedish DJ known as Avicii. One of the most popular and successful electronic dance music artists of all time. So I thought it was Tiesto or Armin Van Buren, but no, it's this guy apparently. Um, He hit four on the Billboard 200 in 2013 with Wake Me Up. I kind of remember that. It's like a wake me up. Um, Yeah, they're a lot of fun. I I jumped on Spotify after I heard about this and really enjoyed his catalogue. He retired from live performing in 2016 at the peak of his success. He started his career when he won a production competition held by UK DJ Pete Tong, 2008. He went on to notch up 11 billion streams on Spotify. He was the first EDM DJ to stage a worldwide arena tour. And as Radio 1 DJ Judge Jules says, he was the first ever DJ to crack the American market. Finally crack. He was nominated for two Grammy Awards and nine UK top 10 singles. He suffered from health problems including acute pancreatitis in part due to excessive drinking. This eventually took its toll and he said this while being filmed for a documentary in 2016. When I was 16 my father said you can do anything you want with your life you just have to be willing to work hard to get it. That's when I decided when I die I want to be remembered for the life I live not the money I make. Not sure how he got that from what his father said but it's a beautiful um, quote. I have said, like, I'm going to die. I've said it so many times, and so I don't want to hear that I should entertain the thought of doing another gig. He retired to get help, but clearly it was all a little too late. Uh, all too little too late, and he passed away in a hotel room in Oman, of all places, at the age of 28. While his success is undeniable, he has also at least achieved his dream of being remembered for his music and good character rather than his wealth. It's a beautiful photo of him looking straight at the camera. Well, that's all for this week. Please let us know your thoughts on our Facebook page. Um, So yeah, two out of the three deaths were basically from alcohol poisoning and suicide. At least Leomi just says old age. He's 74. Thought he would have had a bit more time in him. You know, he was a fit dude. He did live a long and fledged, like, just, man, that was a full life. That's all I can say. A lot of respect for that dude. I ended up watching some of his outtakes on, uh, he did sort of a call-in show for a while. Oh, good. Yes, so that that should be it. I want to, um, next week I'm going to just read some movie reviews and other stuff. So the week after, I'm in line with the Beyond the Con articles. Uh, For now, though, that's uh, about 40 minutes. That's about the average for this stuff. That's probably all anyone could handle one voice for, at least this one. Have a solid week. Good night. (laughs)